0: Matt Valley, and this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast where we feature the super cool backstories and side gigs of the market research and insights pros that you trust. I'm super excited about today's episode because uh, we know that market research and insights is not just a US uh, industry or US business, it's worldwide, it's global, as is rock and roll, right? Rock and roll, it's global. Uh, so I'm super excited to Uh, Welcome from Hyderabad, India, Winfred Sampson to the program. Welcome, Winfred. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for this opportunity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Super excited to have you on the program. Uh, So Winfred Sampson, some of you may know, is the founder and managing partner uh, of a market research services firm called Insight Sutras, which provides expert support to market research and consulting firms, both large and small, all over the world. And I first met Winfred, oh, mid-2000s or so when I was at a company called Market Tools, which was later acquired by Metrics Lab. Uh, Winfred and I worked very closely together there for some time. uh, And he went on to spend something like 15 years at that that organization, which is (laughs) maybe a record or at least close to it. Uh, But uh, really wonderful career he had at, at, uh, at Market Tools and Metrics Lab. Uh, and started his career, actually, uh, with a company that was purchased by AC Nielsen. Uh, but the exciting thing about Winfred that a lot of people don't know is that, because he's too modest and he doesn't talk about it, but <laughs> he's super passionate about music. And not only is he passionate about music, but he knows a thing or two about playing it as well. So super excited to have you on the program, Winfred. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. So so let's start, let's start with your professional career. So, You've spent a long time in insights, and you've decided to stay. So, I'd love to know about uh, how you got started in this industry and uh, how your career has sort of uh, progressed and unfolded.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, definitely, everyone has, uh, you know, some kind of an ambition or aspiration when they are in school, college. I never had any kind of an aspiration, even the smallest inkling that I would be ending up in this industry. Uh, it's been. <laughs> just over three decades that I I have, uh, you know, spent uh, in in this insightful market research uh, industry. I always wanted to be a musician, have a studio on my own, uh, have a, a, you know, world tour, uh, all that during the college days. And, uh, uh, (laughs) but yes, as destiny would uh, have it, uh, here I am, uh, you know, but it's so nice to be talking about it because no one talks about it. Uh, and, um, you know, congratulations to you for picking up this very rare niche topic and, uh, you know, touching base with people who would uh, otherwise be just faded uh, and forgotten. So uh, thank you for that, doing that. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that's uh, something that, uh, you know, I saw some of your podcasts and uh, I was so uh, glad to hear the stories. So my uh, story uh, in this industry began at a very young age of uh, 18 and a half or 19 years when i was still uh, in my undergrad uh, okay. and okay. one of my friends elder brother uh, who had just completed his uh, uh, mba uh, i'm talking about the late 80s 88 uh, to be precise 1988 okay. Okay. and uh, that's the time when uh, he wanted some volunteers for for some some market research project. Uh, the, the work was that you had to go to uh, gas stations, stand there and ask a few questions um, uh, to, to people on, on tires. It was the project code name was Operation Rain Check. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's how that's I cool. started. I got some little amount uh, as pocket money. And uh, you know, that's uh, how I started. So uh, I started doing a few more projects out of interest um, uh, from the same uh, source, Mm -hmm. and as soon as I finished my uh, graduation uh, in in chemistry, I joined this firm uh, on a temporary basis, okay, Okay. so uh, I had some few good bosses to work under. Uh, on a temporary basis and uh, they kind of identified some potential in me and they started giving me roles uh, which otherwise uh, at, at a junior position uh, it's it seldom people would get roles like going and making uh, you know a writing of reports doing some kind of an analysis going and meeting some key clients and uh, within within maybe a year uh, I uh, was given uh, an opportunity to Go and present to a, a key client um, you know that's how it started and then that's i great. left that after uh, about uh, 18 months of uh, temporary work in that firm uh, wherein uh, most of the projects were b2b uh, mm-hmm. so and then uh, i did my full-time mba and during my full-time mba from university of pune which is near mumbai Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working as uh, an associate manager, projects in a small boutique market research firm, and that again was B 2 B. And the managing director of that firm, uh, she was a lady, uh, and uh, she used to uh, be the visiting faculty in some of the premier global uh, uh, MBA uh, institutions. Used to uh, take market research, and. <clears throat> you know, in one of our trips uh, to the UK, uh, where she every October, she used to go uh, and, uh, you know, uh, teach market research there. And she used to come back and uh, she asked me to write case studies. So what, uh, you know, uh, she asked me to do is take some, you know, uh, some of our previous reports that we had done. And she asked me to write, uh, prepare case studies out of that. Okay, that is how I Kind of uh, understood, you know, from you know cover to cover how a market research report is written because I got to study a lot of uh, already completed research reports, and uh, I was writing case studies for students of various colleges in Europe and UK, uh, 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 to be precise. In that region, she was she was uh, going, in and that's how uh, my journey started. Uh, and then uh, in the year 92, I completed my MBA and went to Mumbai to join a company called Operations Research Group, which eventually, due to several M&As, is what uh, in, the, uh, uh, in India, it's called the Nielsen's company now. It's a global company. And uh, yeah, that's how I started. So when we met in Market Tools, uh, I had already completed about 15 years uh, of client-facing role. Uh, mm-hmm. Primarily in the B two B and uh, customer satisfaction uh, uh, CSM uh, segment, and okay. uh, I had a brief stint in in uh, uh, the Middle East, based out of Riyadh, uh, covering all the GCC countries. Okay, uh, and then uh, you know I had this opportunity uh, at uh, at Market Tools, which was on the operations side. So right. from the two thousand five onwards, I was Totally on the back office managing service delivery for uh, global uh, research organizations. And that's where I learned the other side, uh, the non-client facing role. And uh, I also have uh, closely encountered uh, and witnessed how the industry has evolved. uh, Because when we started, Windows didn't exist. Internet wasn't there. And uh, and now things have changed. Technology has uh, disrupted so many things. And uh, yeah, the client's consumption patterns have changed. so, right. yeah, that's my you know little journey. Uh, so yeah, uh, now,
0: now talk, talk a little bit about uh, market tools because uh, so much changed between when you started and when you left metrics lab, both in terms of, as you mentioned, the industry changed a lot in the tools and techniques and uh, yeah. but also this, the scope of the role changed quite a bit, but at some point, obviously you decided to. Break off on your own. So, can you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, having got experience from both the side, of the client facing market researcher role and the, you know, uh, uh, running a de- delivery organization, support organization for a global market research company, uh, working almost 24 by 7 for, uh, you know, almost all continents except Antarctica yeah you know uh, that uh, really uh, you know I I learned a lot Uh, Mm -hmm. initially I I was in uh, you know quite a disagreement to the model of operations uh, because uh, you know I saw technology disrupt so many things uh, so I had to learn and accept some of these things and then eventually embraced and uh, before scaling up and growing uh, the organization so what transition I saw was from from a consultant who would would actually do a lot of primary uh, research and assimilate all the information, ponder over it, do in-depth analysis, uh, take uh, micro and macro level uh, factors that influence and then uh, come up with uh, with an analysis and eventually a recommendation for any kind of decision. You know, now all of that, which took time many, many weeks, is, uh, you know, uh, truncated to a few days or maybe a few hours. And that was something which I wasn't able to accept totally. And uh, uh, I did go through a tough learning curve. Eventually, I understood, you know, why, uh, you know, uh, this is the way it is. uh, Because clients, uh, the demands of the clients, Uh, the needs of the clients also has undergone a massive change. And to put up with that, uh, this thing was required. And uh, the reason why I, uh, you know, uh, wanted to start uh, on my own uh, uh, was that I wanted to marry both these, uh, uh, you know, philosophy or viewpoints of, you know, is this a good research? Is this a bad research? Is technology good uh, for research? And uh, I, I think the uh answer lies somewhere uh, uh in between uh, a good balance of both is what is required and uh, many of uh, uh our uh research and insights consumers are missing out big time on that and i thought that you know uh, uh i i i would uh, you know start something in which we uh, drive home this point that uh, you know decisions have to be made and uh, you know, there has to be some kind of a human intellect and human intelligence also involved, not just uh technology and mechanized uh processes which are templatized. So that's that was my driving factor behind uh starting uh my my company Insights school trust.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, um, uh, you know, so some listeners may know that I've I've been involved to some extent in in. Helping you out in the, the early stages of that, along with a couple of other people, Russ Rubin and, and Dave Rosenblatt. Yeah, all of us met at uh, at Market Tools once upon a time. So it's kind of like getting the band back together, man. So yes, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. So so let's talk let's talk music, Winfrey, because you and I have talked about music before, but and you've alluded to the fact that you, you wanted to have your own studio and and you wanted that to be part of your career. So talk about your journey in music and maybe a little bit about some of your favorite moments.
1: Okay, okay. So, uh, you know, um, before I begin again, uh, I want to reiterate that uh, I'm not an accomplished musician, but I do relate myself very closely to music. Uh, my family has uh, a very uh, close, uh, you know, contribution to the industry, at least in the Indian, you uh, know, uh, in music industry uh by inventing few uh of the traditional uh, musical instruments that come you know my family had contributed oh, cool. to that my mom uh was a blend of both carnatic carnatic is a form of indian classical music uh, okay so there are two main streams in india for indian classical one is called hindustani and uh, which is more prevalent in the north of india and one is carnatic which is more pre- prevalent in the uh, south of india so in the late 40s and mid 50s my mom uh, was uh, uh into carnatic music She's, uh, she did her uh, you know uh, post graduation in that in, during those days and, okay. uh, not only uh, classical uh, carnatic music but uh, also she was uh, a lead soprano uh, in the madras musical association uh, I, I know you wouldn't know uh, there was a famous uh, person by name uh, uh, Handel manual so she uh, was uh, under his uh, tutorship uh, and um, part of the you know uh, choral music society there uh, oh, wow. at that time uh, she was one of the lead sopranos and uh, yeah so so naturally I got some of that rubbed into me uh, yeah. uh, though I, I'm not a vocalist uh, but I do understand music I can play a few uh, ragas, uh, in my guitar, though I'm not okay. a guitarist, uh, I can play the keyboard. Though I never got any formal education, uh, so that became a drawback in my later years when I actually wanted to participate uh, or go uh, into studios uh, for for some small budget movies. Uh, I was <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was hit upon the reality that you know you need to know sight reading, you needed to know this thing. I, I never had. Yeah. I never learned uh, music formally, okay. uh, so uh, yeah, that disqualified me to, you know, be a backup uh, keyboard player uh, in the little opportunities that I got. You know, backup of a backup, maybe. <laughs> I sure. Because you had to have that minimum qualification. You had to you know sight reading, and yeah. uh, that was something which uh, I never formally, uh, you know, learned. Uh I would like to tell an interesting story. Uh, this was, uh, my father was in the Indian Air Force, so we moved all across India. So this is a story, uh, I think we were in Punjab, which is a North Indian state, uh, and uh, capital of Punjab, there's was, there was an air force station uh, and we were there, I was a schoolboy. Uh, this is in the late 70s, okay. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> late 70s, early 80s, during those times, I clearly remember 1979 as International uh, Children's Year, okay, and that's when uh, I was wanting to have a keyboard of my own, and I used to write to Yamaha and Casio, uh, uh, you know, companies, uh, and they send me brochures, catalogs, and that that's all. So what I used to do is I used to take big chart paper and with colored felt pen, I used to draw the keyboards and imagine the sounds and play the keyboard on, on paper. You know, that's the closest that I could get. And uh, <laughs> yeah, in 83, I got my first keyboard, which was the size, you know, uh, you can't call it keyboard maybe. It, it was only, you know, you could, you could actually hold it and play like this. Okay. okay. Yep. This size. It was Casio VL tone. That was the uh, model number. And uh, with that, I started playing I started giving, uh, you know, kind of uh, performances in in school uh, programs, yeah. uh, annually and so on and so forth, and that's how it started. Uh, my first big break, uh, I would say, big break from my standards, was when I was uh, uh, called in to play church music. Uh, okay. It happened so that uh, our organist uh, was unwell and. And uh, that's when, uh, you know, people approached me, can you, can you fill in? And that's how I got uh, uh, an opportunity to play uh, uh, during the service uh, at the church for Mm -hmm. uh, many, many uh, weeks. Whenever the organist was uh, on tour or not available, I used to get my early days where on a, on a, on an organ which has those the pedal organs you remember you, you press the pedals and then you uh play that of course there right. was a huge pipe organ but i never got to play in the pipe organ because that was that was out of bounds uh <laughs> but yes i, I consider my uh, uh that as one of the good breaks that i got uh, sure. uh playing uh, in the church because you cannot afford to go wrong uh, and there is a congregation i knew uh you know how the how to pace, uh, each of the hymns, uh, that were, uh, there because the congregation would start late and drag on. So, uh, you know, either to follow the congregation, you will lose. So to lead the congregation, you have to be really, you know, be focused. So all those things okay. I, I, I learned, uh, this was, uh, I think in the mid eighties. Yeah. Okay. And then from, let's say, uh, 85, 86 onwards till maybe uh, nineteen ninety-one, regularly during, uh, you know, India's biggest festival, Diwali, this uh, mm-hmm. festival of lights. Yep. During that time, uh, Diwali and Dashera. during that time, there, there would be a 10-day uh, vacation for school. And mm-hmm. uh, during that school uh, vacation time, I used to regularly go to uh, some of these uh, gospel meetings. Wherein mm-hmm. uh, they would call me to uh, play for different uh, uh, different choirs, and that's when uh, you know I got recognition uh, because they used to have three or four days uh, of uh, uh, you know gospel meetings or revival meetings, uh, something like that. So right. I used to be uh, playing for four or five different um, uh, choirs. Right. And, uh, yeah, so those uh, were you know typically eight to twelve thousand uh, oh. crowds. Eight uh, to twelve thousand, did you say? Yeah. yeah. Oh so, my God. Yeah. These, these are cost. <laughs> no pressure. <for> yeah. <laughs> um, so this was an annual affair. So that's when I actually uh, my 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 size of the keyboard from this became you know this much uh, you know maybe <laughs> maybe two 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 and a half feet long, and that's that that's how I used to manage and. Uh, yeah, all without any formal uh, training, all by year, uh, you know, learned that. But yes, uh, end of the day, uh, I was into music, uh, yeah. uh, in in whichever way that I, I could. So, uh, alongside my career, also grew. So, after I completed my MBA, uh, or or let me put it this way, during my MBA, I had the first opportunity to uh, do a recording in you uh, know, do a studio recording. It okay. was. Uh, recording it had uh, you know eight tracks so it wasn't Mm -hmm. even a 16 track recording it was eight tracks sure and uh, so I had co-written this song for uh, a road track uh, international silver jubilee Uh, I think it was 1992 if I'm not mistaken Uh, so uh, the name of the song uh, was rise above the rest Uh, Mm -hmm. so I recorded that song I had sung a part of it composed oh nice uh, a bit uh, along with uh, um, you know a senior composer, and uh, uh, had one of my uh, you know choirs from Mizoram uh, uh, who who gave voice pieces, and uh, uh, one of the guys played the lead guitar. So so the eight track recording is something, and we had a master uh, cassette. Uh, yeah. uh, I preserved it for so long. You won't believe that. Uh, I think two or three years back, one of my uh, colleagues at Metrics Lab helped me convert that into a digital recording. The oh, recording okay. Studio. All right. I got to hear 19- that. We 19- can make 19- sure. Yeah, 1991 or 92. 92, I think, international uh, silver Jubilee for a track club. So uh, so that was the year. So yeah, uh, that was my only time that I went into a studio and recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, post that, it's all been... Uh, uh, it's all been a career, and uh, the closest that I could get get to a rock and roll was being associated with a band called Malfunction, uh, yeah. which was led by my very good friend, uh, who is unfortunately no more, uh, Neville D'Souza from Mumbai. Uh, so yeah, uh, these guys used to jam up, and I always used to be at his place, and yeah. uh, that's where I learned some of the, uh, you know, rock bands, and I still remember uh the day when uh, you know the bad news came about Kurt Cobain so we were all kind of actually practicing something and uh we all you know i was a associate research director at uh, at the company which is now uh, which became ac nielsen and then nielsen so during those times uh, this was in the mid uh, yeah mid 90s uh, that's okay. when yeah this happened yeah uh, so that's the closest i got to rock and roll otherwise it was mostly uh uh, gospel choral music and of course we did a bit of uh, you know uh, things which you, which you do for survival <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. going to a you know senior police officer's daughter's birthday party yeah. and playing and getting some bucks out of that and then uh, celebrating so yeah I've done many of those uh, yeah and after the 90s I think uh, I stopped playing uh, so, so yes.
0: <laughs> well, there's, there's always time. There's always time. So, so let me let me ask you this then, Winfred. So So, uh, you really had a big focus on music, and then after that, a big focus on career and insights. Were there any lessons, or uh, you know, anything that you learned from your music experience that you
1: were able to apply in your professional career? Yes, I think so. I think so. <clears throat> I think music. Um... You know uh, let me put it this way um, i if you ask me which genre you belong to uh, i would be confused i won't have an answer uh, mm-hmm. because um, you know i i love music uh, which has which can you know convey a meaning which can right. uh, make you uh, feel uh, you know some kind of an emotion and i I just fall in love with that music. It could be, you know, Vanga Boys to, uh, you know, Led Zepp to Deep Purple to, Jackson <laughs> to Barbara Streisand to folk music to Yami. to so. Sure. Everywhere you get that vibe, so mm-hmm. I love those kind of music and and that is why I think what I've learned is uh, in my career is that uh, you know this insights industry is actually gathering information, relevant information, processing it, applying you know, logic and reasoning, uh, aligning it to the client's objective and, and uh, making some sense out of it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one great aspect is observing. You know, I think uh, um, you, know, you may not like a music at, at the first go, but if you really start appreciating listening to the music, li- listening to the stories behind uh, uh, the lyrics uh, you actually get an entirely different experience and I right. think uh, I have uh, uh, you know seen that this is so true for our industry I have applied it uh, you know believe it or not I've applied it uh, in whatever little research that I have done uh, in actually listening and observing uh, to, to sources of information which are in our uh, jargon respondents uh, right so yeah. uh, listen one, one key thing and appreciating their viewpoint, rather than asking uh, something that I want to know, uh, rather than listening what they want to tell. And uh, so that is one key uh, thing, because uh, fundamentally this, this, uh, this point gives a different meaning to the research uh, that you do, because uh, you know what we typically, a research company does or a research agency does is takes the brief from the client discusses at length what needs to be done, and goes out and executes it, a uh, part of which is collecting information, relevant information pertaining to that objective of that study and, and so on right. and so forth. So many a times it so happens that the research agency and the clients uh, miss out something which the customer wants to say, or uh, right. because they, it, it's not there unless you go and start talking to them, observing them, then something comes out and then several times over, I've gone and told the client, listen, this is what the client is expecting. This is what they are saying. We we had three rounds of meeting before finalizing the questionnaire, but we never thought about this. So that's what uh, listening and observing or appreciating what the client says brings about, which is definitely what music has taught me.
0: Sure, that's that's a really insightful answer. I appreciate that. So. So, you've been around uh, this industry now for, for a long time and you've seen a lot of change. What, what do you think is on the horizon? Do you have a, a thought on what the future looks like?
1: Yeah, as I said, uh, uh, Matt, <clears throat> technology is there. It's like, you know, I know you're you, you still part of a band and you had your reunion <laughs> uh, and uh, you're <laughs> so in the performing great going. Uh, so, yes. Uh, so that is actually composing and playing music, giving live performances. Okay, keep that on one side. On the other side, uh, you have technology. You have mm-hmm. DJs who can create music. So uh, the crowd laps up both, you know, live performance as well as you know they love DJs. Sure. You know. So the industry, uh, you know, has both these. Uh, uh, end of spectrums. One is the hardcore uh, you know uh, conventional types of primary research which I think cannot be uh, totally replaced. On the other side, you have technology intervention, disruptions, you know quick, fast turnaround, agile research, so on and so forth. Right. Both are music, okay. but and the clients want both. So can you take a stand that this is right and this is not right? I don't think so. I think uh, both are important and the right way to go is make the client understand that this both thing is important. For example, I have encountered several examples uh, of of big brands uh, investing so much huge money in getting things done quick, fast, using the best of technologies in the world, but actually making a decision which is not actually an intelligent decision. And uh, that's one of the reasons which I strongly felt about that there has to be uh, an even balance. You cannot replace human uh, intellect and human intelligence. It's like uh, you know, there's uh, going away from music. I, I can also give an example. Uh, you know, just earlier this week, I was talking to a to a uh, to a doctor. Uh, uh, you know, who who whom I was uh, trying to build uh, a strategy for his uh, super specialty hospital. He wanted mm-hmm. to be number one in in one of the cities in India. And uh, while discussing that, you know, we came upon this topic, e-medicines, e-surgery, robotic surgery, so on and so forth. And on the other hand, the doctors touch or the physical presence the the patient gets assured that this is a doctor that I can relate to. So it both makes sense. It both are a process that needs to be uh, married for good healing to happen uh and right. today's market research industry is uh actually uh need to take a pause and and answer this especially the consumers who are paying millions of dollars to get these things done quick fast templatized uh good look uh you know appealing but in the end uh it's it's the insight uh, it's the insight that you apply in a decision right. uh, that's what matters and i think uh uh i i, I think we we need to uh, evangelize this blend of both uh, mm-hmm. because you cannot just live without each other technology is a must but it's not everything yeah i think we stand there uh, and i can draw a parallel between what dj or music can be composed music can be manufactured do you yeah. agree yeah right? yeah absolutely
0: absolutely I, I love the analogy i mean it's, it's yeah it's fun so,
1: consumers can pay. Uh, you know, anybody can become a musician nowadays. Yeah. They need to do a bit of technology. Okay. Yeah. They cannot be compose music. Uh, the client will not uh, is buying both. And I think that's what uh, we need to you know uh, see where where uh, we stand. And I think there is uh, there will be a realization uh, in the client side that both is needed. And uh, I think that's where the real value lies of insights in this. Here,
0: here, here, here. All right. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit, uh, Winfred. So this is podcast, right? Um, so I'm curious to know if there are other media, whether it be podcasts or blogs or something else that you find particularly, uh, inspirational or enjoyable that you want to share with others
1: well i think the the podcast social media is is the future of business i guess okay at least as far as i can see in in the coming decade definitely this is the future of any business having a presence in these is definitely there uh, from a research perspective you know having uh, good grip on uh you know uh doing research based on different media is is uh, quite quite important in in terms of podcasts I, i'm not a big podcast guy i don't listen to podcasts but i'm beginning to uh, because uh since since last six months i've kind of uh, started discovering these podcasts um my main um vote would go to that media which complements a lifestyle or uh, which which for you which you do not have to take the time out but which you can do it on the go and educate, right. create awareness mm-hmm. have an entertainment all that on the go because right now what i find is people have very little time and yeah. uh, and anything which complements a journey uh, uh which which they can you know whether they are driving, whether they are, uh, you know, doing anything and if they can listen or, you know.
0: Multitasking,
1: hyper-efficient. Yeah, uh, 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 yeah that, would, uh, that is the medium that is, uh, that is going to, you know, matter. Yeah, that makes sense, that makes sense.
0: Okay, so I have just one more question for you, Winfred, and it's the most important yeah. question in this interview for sure. So uh, you're stranded on a desert island, right? And you've got three records, three records of your choice to keep you company
1: for the end of your days. Whatever. <laughs> okay, so that's the condition. So, so I'm doomed in an island. You're doomed on an island, yes. Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. So, okay. <clears throat> Even if you had asked me this question, you know, and given me a week's time, I would not have come <laughs> The music is such that, you know, uh, it, it's very difficult to choose. Uh, but since, uh, since you have asked, uh, the top three and I, I'm sure, you know, after, after naming them, I said, no, maybe not this, maybe that. Okay. So <clears throat> I, I think what I would do is since you said I'm doomed and I cannot get <laughs> out of that island. So I will do what music does for me. Okay. Okay. Uh, two or three distinct things. It inspires, motivates. So I will listen to those kind of music. Sure, Uh, it could be uh, gospel, and it could be some of the very uh, good inspirational music. Uh, I relate music, uh, you know, sometimes to situations. For example, Scorpions, uh, you know, playing at the uh, you know uh, Berlin Wall uh, uh, was broken. You know, Scorpions.
0: That's one.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Mark Knoppler's guitar work in Sultans of Swing, uh, uh, Alchemy Live, definitely has to be there. Uh, Very nice. um, Some of the other, uh, you know, it's, it's, of course, you know, I I know you're in Texas uh, now, so Jim Reeves is something I grew up with my entire family. Oh, wow. Jim Reeves, so. Uh, you know, during my school college days, it was only Jim Reeves, so I have the entire collection with me. So, oh, wonderful! <laughs> yeah, so that has to be there. And so he sings both country and gospel. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, some of these uh, is gospel songs. So yeah, uh, so that will be there, and maybe definitely has to be a female voice, uh, anywhere from Mariah Carey to Barbara Streisand. Uh, you know any one of them, both have done some good numbers. All right,
0: we'll take it. We'll take it.
1: <laughs> you mentioned five, but uh, I'm gonna give you a break here. So that's <laughs> good. Yeah, but I, I have a whole lot of lists. I can go on and on. Uh, yeah. So, well, you can always email me if you think of any more. Oh, I
0: wish I would have said such and such. I've already gotten a couple of those, <laughs> so. All right, Winfred. Well, this has been a great conversation. Really appreciate you sharing your insights about uh, your career and a little bit about uh, some good stories uh, from your your days in music. So really appreciate that. Thanks
1: for having me, Matt. Thanks for having me, Matt. I want your uh, podcast to grow because you are picking up individuals who otherwise would be, uh, you know, um, I wouldn't say unsung heroes, just unsung. So you are taking them out Making them tell their stories it such creates such a good vibe. Uh, uh, Matt, keep up the good work. I appreciate that. Appreciate that Rock and roll.